you get off on the weird? Monsters, Halloween, horror. You've heard of word porn, car porn, earth porn. Now prepare yourself for monster porn. Is this really a good idea? Weird fiction and horror podcast. Created by the Backwards Hat Guy, Matt Cummins. Are you trying to teach psychic powers to animals? Puggles, the abomination trapped in the body of an adorable teacup piggy. Good for humans. And myself, lead occultist, Brett Norwood. Today's story is Break by Matt Cummins. Monster baiters. I'm Matt, and this is Brett. Good day. We hope the apocalypse is continuing to treat you well, and thank you again for joining us. Indeed. You know, this podcast has the distinction of being one of the myriad signs of the apocalypse. We have the certificate here on the wall. You know, I think I remember something about that from Sunday school. Anyways, we have a bit of news, first of all. Indeed. Monster Porn now has a newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, monsterpornpodcast.com. We'll send you some extra content along with episode announcements, but the main draw is this. Monster Porn Magazine. That's right. We're going to be releasing select Monster Porn content as a digital magazine with new and classic artwork and articles. If you want more Monster Porn to masturbate to, this is for you. So go drop your email at monsterpornpodcast.com. Yeah, this is exciting. We want to expand to bring you content in another way that supplements what we're doing on the regular show. Thanks, as always, for supporting this, for supporting Monster Porn. We appreciate our listeners and that you make us a part of your day. Without further ado, on to the show. This is Patrick McGannon, Paranormal Investigator, and you're listening to Patrick McGannon, Paranormal Investigator. I mean, the podcast and the host. The host and the podcast have the same name. Is that confusing? Oh, best you're confused. Oh, golly, did I already screw this up? Uh, well, anyway, uh, hi, hello. Uh, today, I'd very much like to talk to you about some awesome cryptids like <gasps> Mothman, the Jersey Devil Bigfoot, huh? My favorite, Jesus, Santa Claus, Tom Hanks! <laughs> oh, gee, Willikers, they're home! Hi, honey, girls. I'm home. Huh. Don't everybody welcome the man of the house at once. Ho, 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 you are uh, sorely missed. Hey, what's this on the coffee table? Oh, uh, some books, I guess. Cassidy must have been reading. Spanked by the square snatch. Loved by the Loveland Frogman. What? Ho, 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 maybe not so missed after all. Cassidy wouldn't read these, would she? Mobbed by the Mothmen? Hopped on by the Virginia Bunny Man? Wait, this reminds me of something. Where's Patrick? Who? Oh, shit! We forgot about Patrick! I'm, I'm here, guys! Over on the Cadenza? Patrick? Oh my god! You must be starving! Oh no! Your wife is so nice that she fed me every single day. What? 
Cassidy knows about you now? How did she take it? I've been hiding all of this weird shit from her for two years. Am, am I weird? Sh uh, Shui? She didn't say anything at all, Matt. She just would come over every once in a while while she was scrolling on her phone and sprinkle a little food in. Tasted like nori. Hmm. Always a fancy dining in the Cummins house. What? She fed him fish food, Matt. Didn't even look at him. It's Cassidy. She says, Are you back, dude? BTW. When you get the weird fish. And sorry about the novel, guys. They're proofs from the printer. Oh, oh, you wrote them? Oh, this is rich. How did he type them without fingers? Did my wife read them? Oh, no. Uh, she just unboxed them and mumbled something about quarantine and drinking and Amazon. I didn't quite catch it. Uh, anyway, what have you been doing, Patrick? I, uh, I, uh... You miss me, Puggy Poo? Psh, huh, no. Huh, I was gonna say that someday I wanted to wear the skin of your face like a cape. I like capes. Aw, there's my favorite cosmic abomination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, shucks. But, uh, what, what are you working on? Oh, this? I was worried that you guys had left the show hanging when you went away and left me lonely. So I started my own version. It's called Patrick McGannon Paranormal Investigator. In addition to researching paranormal lore from the internet, I share personal stories that my audience writes in. What's this paper on the credenza? Is this one of those stories, Patrick? Hey. That's one of my stories that I was working on. Were you going to use my story without my permission? I thought you said you were going to read stories from your audience. Well, I was kind of hoping you guys would be my audience. Aw. Give me that. Claire heard her brother tell her that he was there to help take care of her. She heard it through the white noise inside of her. I've got you, Claire. I know this isn't your fault. He said the words she knew were coming. It wasn't her fault. But what in the last four years had been? Losing her full-ride scholarship to the University of Washington wasn't her fault. No, not after the diagnosis. Losing her apartment and her job hadn't been her fault either. The therapist said so. Their mom dying of a heart attack at a young age had been another tally on the items belonging to the ever-growing list titled Claire Can't Be Forgiven If She Was Never Guilty. Perhaps her mother's death wasn't her fault, but having a daughter who sees and hears things that aren't real might count as a stressor, might it not? The dismissive arrogance they had to think that they could fool her with petty reassurances she was, after all, a semester away from getting her bachelor's in molecular biology when the Twilight Zone marathon in her head began running. Thanks, Eric, she said, and Eric kept talking. But at that moment, the antenna in her brain began picking up another station. He's a liar, a voice growled. Claire tried to tune it out, but sometimes she just wasn't in control of the dial. I just need help getting on my feet again, you know? She said, an old man lurched by the doorway in her new apartment, passing from the kitchen into the dining room. He's not there, 
she told herself. Yeah, I know, Eric said. And then a woman's voice, one she'd only begun hearing recently, said, I wonder if he's a good lover. Claire cringed. This new voice was a fun one, all right, always interjecting hypersexual comments into the most inappropriate of situations. She first appeared at their mother's funeral, a woman in a red dress who leered at the priest. Claire had covered her ears and closed her eyes, but the problem with hallucinations is that sometimes when you close your eyes, you go right on seeing the hallucination. She didn't leave the funeral screaming the way she had ran out of her genetics lab, but she had missed the majority of Eric's eulogy. And when she went up to the podium to say her own piece, she had to focus and read off of the paper in front of her as quickly as she could, never once raising her eyes. She did it through all of the static around her, but when she left the podium, everyone looked wide-eyed and startled, none of the raw emotional appreciation remaining from Eric's touching speech about his son's love of his mother. However, she knew it wasn't her fault. Claire had lost everything. She had lost her scholarship, her apartment, her job, her friends, and Zach, her boyfriend. Before her first break, he'd been sweet and gentle, but after she was kicked off of campus, he cut her out of his life. Just weeks before, he'd been talking with her about marriage. He'd said it jokingly, of course, but she could tell that he'd been testing the waters to see how warm she was to the idea. Three weeks later, it was as if she had never existed. He stopped responding to any of her calls and texts. When she went to see him at his apartment, he refused to open the door. When she brought her own key, he had called the cops. That night and the following week after were hazy and difficult to remember, she left Zach's apartment and walked out into the cold Seattle rain. She thought she was going home, but suddenly all of the streets looked the same to her. She wandered in and out of buildings and down the streets. She went into a Starbucks, a Target, a Victoria's Secret. She recognized them all, but she didn't know where she was. She ordered an Uber, and it came to her right in front of the store she was in. Are you Claire? A handsome young Indian man said to her from the window of his Toyota Corolla. He had his phone on a stand that attached to his dashboard like the other Uber drivers she had used. She nodded slightly, and he gave her an odd look before he smiled and said, Step inside, please. Claire felt a wave of relief settle over her. This man was going to drive her to her address. She had given the right address. She knew that. And when she got there, she would only have to walk up the stairs, and then she'd be in her apartment and she could use her shower and then sleep in her bed. Her legs felt weak, almost wobbly, and then she opened the door and crawled in. How are you this evening? the man asked, pushing his wavy hair to the side and looking at her with light brown eyes. I'm okay, she said, and her voice had never felt so thin and weak. Just a few weeks before, she had given a presentation in front of 500 other students. She had spoken loudly, with passion and authority, but now here she was, afraid that if she moved or spoke, they would notice her. Those things 
which seemed to whisper into her mind, driving her mad. It looks like I'm taking you to the apartments by the university. Are you a student then? The man asked. Yes, she said, and she realized that this was a lie. But the reality of no longer being a student had yet to set in. So am I. I am studying architecture. What about you? He asked, smiling. He's beautiful, she thought. It was a bitter thought, considering she'd just left Zach's apartment. They continued speaking about what Claire could not remember. She had just given him something when a voice said, He knows. It was a man's voice, and it was angry and growling. Knows what? She whispered. I'm sorry, the man said. His name was Akshay. She didn't remember him telling her this, but somehow she knew his name, so he must have. Oh, nothing. I just remembered something, she said. She had the feeling their conversation had been pleasant, but it was almost like an out-of-body experience. She was talking to him while other conversations were taking place all over the car. There were voices in her head talking to each other about her. He knows you're lying about school, the voice said again. Claire looked at Akshay, but she saw no sign of it in his eyes. Suddenly there was a man sitting next to him. He wore a black hooded sweatshirt, and his hood was pulled up over his head. He knows that you lie, but he doesn't care. You know what he wants. It's what all men want. It was what Zack wanted, and now it's what he wants. And when he's done with you, he'll throw you out on the lawn like a piece of trash. Claire, are you okay? Akshay asked. His expression was still friendly, but she saw concern in his eyes. Voices flooded in, saying, It's fake! He's fake! He knows! Claire panicked and looked up, seeing she was coming up on a grocery store that was two blocks from her house. She would surely be able to make it two blocks on her own. I'm sorry. I, I forgot I need to get something from the store. Can you pull over, please? Here, he said, and he pulled over near the curb. She would have seen disappointment in his eyes, but she wasn't watching him. She was staring at the thing in the hooded sweatshirt in the passenger seat. She turned to the door and pulled at the handle. It pulled back impotently. She tried again, and then she heard the click of the locks. He only wants one thing. The thing in the front seat growled at her. Akshay had unlocked the door. She spilled out of his car into the street, and the cold drizzle of Seattle rain wet her dark hair and her light blouse as she went into the grocery store. The rest of that night is just a series of images. She bought a few items and left the store. Only when she was turning a corner or scanning over an area with her eyes would she see the thing in the black hoodie. She would glimpse it standing in a faraway corner, facing her in silent stillness. It was dressed not only in a dark hoodie and sweatpants, but its face was also wholly concealed in that same darkness. It wasn't truly black, after all. It looked more like a man from a black-and-white movie that had stepped into the world. She glimpsed it, and then it was gone. She had no idea why she thought of it at first. 
because now that she could feel its presence, she definitely didn't think it was human. She just knew that it noticed her noticing it. Of course, that was then, before she'd been diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. As Claire walked in the rain, the shadows around her seemed to stand up and skitter like insects. She tried to see this happening, but every time she turned her head, there was nothing there. She lived in a clean area, meaning that the rampant homelessness that had swallowed Seattle in the recent years was less pervasive where she lived. There were a few homeless people, but she had never had to deal with any of the tents popping up overnight or having to step on a pile of human shit come morning time. Ironically, she would spend the next week as one of those people. She tried to go home, but whenever she got close to her apartment, it was as if multiple radio stations with different conversations between various people would all turn on inside of her head, and it was too much for her to hold on to. For whatever reason, perhaps all of the stress of her life, if she went home, things would get bad. She knew this deep down, and so for an entire week, she lived on the streets. Luckily, she doesn't remember much about that. She remembered the cold of the rain, but then a reassuring voice of a woman took her into the alleyway where she had a small heat lamp set up beneath a kind of tarp. The woman had kind gray eyes and smelled like earth and sweat. Then there was Pike's Market, where the noise was loud enough to drown out the other voices. This had been a good idea at first, but then she found herself running, in a panic, through crowds of people trying to find her way out. She must have, because that night she slept under a bench by the shipping docks. She saw two men drag another man behind a shipping container. He was wild with panic. He searched with his eyes as he cried out, trying to find help. He looked toward her but never saw her, and when she saw one of his two assailants grab him by the balls, she turned her head and went back to sleep. The gray man looked on from the shadows. It had been close to a week, or so her brother told her, when he finally found her. He pulled right up to her and got out. Apparently, he had used her iPad to track down her iPhone. He'd been trying all week, but she wouldn't stay still long enough during those times when her phone was on and receiving a signal for him to find her. She had her phone on her because she knew that someone was going to call her and tell her all of the answers. They were watching her, of course, and trying to kill her. There was a person out there who was going to call her and tell her where to find them. Her phone had rang several times but the voices told her not to answer. Her brother picked her up and drove her to her house, where she showered and changed clothing. She didn't realize until she was back in her apartment how bad she smelled, how disgusting she looked. Her hair was matted and dirty. She had the remnants of weak old eyeshadows smeared down her cheeks. There was something that looked like bird shit in her hair. And when she took off her clothes, she had hair in places she never allowed it to grow. She had shaved everything for most of her life, but now she had a week's growth of hair in her pits, on her legs, and on her vagina. She bathed and shaved, 
for a moment, the voices were quiet. When she came back out, she saw her brother sitting in the living room. He was tall and handsome and successful, and she had spent a lifetime being his proud little sister. He had been proud of her, too, ferociously proud sometimes. She had modeled her life after his, and she was well on her way to surpassing him, but now, well, now she just washed bird shit out of her hair, and she was hearing voices she knew weren't coming from the people around her. It seemed impossible to her that they were coming from her mind, but that was the only other remaining option. Eric, she said as she sat next to him on the sofa, I'm sorry, I... I don't think I'm well. It's okay, Claire, he said, looking at her closely. Eric was, after all, a psychiatrist. She supposed then that he had suspected what was happening to her. It's not your fault, he said. And there it was. The first of so many to come. That had all been a while ago. Though time didn't seem to travel from point A to point B in the same way for Claire as it once had. Eric had gotten her into a clinic outside of Seattle where he lived. Being out of the city was quieter, and for Claire, anything she could get that was close to silence was great. A month went by before she was released, and when she was, Eric paid for her apartment. His wife, Lydia, was understanding. She had to be. Her husband was a psychiatrist, and her sister-in-law had just suffered a psychotic break. She never heard from Zach again after that, but she was okay. She didn't need him anymore. Thinking about her old life was like grabbing the radio and twisting the dials. The noise would become unbearable. So she did what she could to not think of it anymore. And there was comfort and determination. She did hear from Akshay, though she barely remembered him. He began texting her shortly after Eric had come to find her. Apparently, Claire had given Akshay her phone number during that Uber ride. She didn't remember doing this, but she did remember his kind, curious eyes. They texted while she learned how to cope with her new sense of normalcy in her new apartment. The meds had helped dampen the noise, but in the apartment she saw things. There was an old man with a crooked spine who lumbered around angrily, and there was an older woman who always appeared after the old man. She had a panicked, searching look in her blue eyes. She had wiry, graying hair tied up in a bun. She was skinny and tan. She looked terrified. The first time that Claire saw them, she was on her second night in the home. She took her meds and then ran a bath. The water felt warm. She smelled the citrus salts that she had added to the water. She got in and soaked, feeling the tension and stress leave. She played music softly and focused on her breathing, feeling the warmth of the water and her medications, and trying not to think about the life that she thought she should have. There was a road back to that life, possibly, but the important thing for Claire was to quiet her mind. After the bath water began to cool, she sat up and felt the water running down her shoulders and back. She was still warm, but she suddenly felt aware of everything. Her sentences were heightened, and she broke out in goose flesh. She looked up to see the old man looking at her. His skin was tanned but sickly gray with large moles and age spots. The fuzz of white hair that covered his temples 
was patchy and his eyes were a misty gray. They were so full of rage that they nearly looked black. He looked at her and then limped away using a cane made from a twisted ivory antler of an elk, perhaps. Claire sat with her heart pounding, clutching her arms over her chest. The man walked towards the door and vanished. Claire had seen plenty of people. The gray man or thing hadn't been around since she started her meds, but there were still moments when she would see and hear things that weren't there. Voices would fade in and out, never louder than perhaps the sound of a neighbor's television coming through the walls, though. She saw a woman after she got out of the shower. She climbed out and quickly put on a towel. She went to the door and saw that it was locked. Her heart was pounding in her chest and something creaked behind her. She jumped and began to slip on the wet floor. She almost lost her balance. Could just imagine herself going back over and cracking her skull on the edge of the cast iron tub. Instead, she found herself grabbing the edge of the bathroom vanity. She breathed and whispered, You are in control, Claire. You are in control. You are always in control. These little mantras seemed ridiculous when she first started treatment, but now she lived for them. She told herself she was in control. She told herself she was still worthy, and sometimes she even had to tell herself that her mind was still a powerful tool for good, something that a younger Claire would have never doubted, not even for a second. She felt the fear leave her, and then she went out into the living room to check to see if there hadn't been an intruder. A long timer at the clinic told her to learn to trust herself, but always double-check to be safe. It would do her no good to have people break into her apartment as she sat there telling herself that they weren't real. This time, it turned out the man wasn't an intruder. Everything was locked, and as it should be. It was just in my head, but I remain in control, she thought, not without a sense of pride. It wasn't easy to battle your own mind, after all. Then, as she went back into the bathroom, she saw the old woman searching the ground on her hands and knees in a panic. She found something, something that Claire couldn't see, and then lifted whatever this was in front of her in a protective gesture. There were no voices or accompanying noises. There were no smells. Not that time, anyway. Akshay called her one afternoon. Claire had taken a job at the front desk of a hotel, and though the stress got to her at times, she felt she was handling herself well. At this point, it had been nearly a year, and her friend Akshay still checked in on her from time to time. He called her and said, Hello, Claire. I was wondering if I could come and see you, take you out on a date. He said this without hesitation, and he spoke clearly, but Claire could hear that it had been practiced and that it there was nervousness still in his voice. She thought it was sweet, but almost declined him. Akshay had been aware of what had happened to her. She didn't know him before it happened, so early on it had been easier to talk to him about it than anyone else. She wasn't afraid of his judgment or rejection as much as she had been with someone like Zach. She accepted so long as he promised to come to her and take her out to a local restaurant. He showed up in a newer Toyota Camry. He'd spent the year as a full-time student taking the minimum requirement of classes necessary to keep his scholarship, and he worked two jobs. His time as an Uber driver was just his side hustle, 
but it ended up paying nearly as well as his day job. Between the two and the overpayment from his scholarship, he was able to buy a better vehicle with cash and would go into his senior year of college with no debt and a paid-for car. He took her to a local place called the King Crab, a middling seafood joint. It was nice, but not pretentious, and it made the date feel simple. He ordered a glass of wine, as did she, though she promised herself she wouldn't drink all of it. She had been educated on the rate of addiction with schizophrenics and made sure to monitor herself. They ate and laughed. It was a good date. After dinner, the waiter brought them dessert. He ordered a chocolate cake, and she went with the creme brulee. As they both ate their desserts, he went quiet for a moment, and Claire could feel he wanted to ask her something. Then he finally spoke, breaking the tension that had built. Claire, how are you doing? I'm good, she said plainly, hoping he would change the subject. You look good, he said. She didn't feel like this was his way of coming on to her. Akshay was one of the few people who she'd ever met who seemed genuine. But your whole life has turned upside down in this last year. I don't mean to pry, and if you don't want to talk about it, I understand. You're an incredibly strong woman. I could tell that when I first met you. I could also tell you were in such duress. It broke my heart not to be able to help you, and I couldn't understand why. I had only just met you, and I meet hundreds of new people in my car every week. But you, well, you were different. I bet you say that to all the girls whose numbers you get, she said coyly, trying to derail the direction of the conversation. Sure. I've gotten other girls' numbers, but yours is the only one that I've ever asked for and the only one I've ever called, he said, meeting her eyes. She tried to look away, but just then she saw the gray man in the corner standing there like he had so many times before, as though he'd phased into her world from some other dimension. She looked away. Hey, are you? He turned to see where she'd been looking. Are you seeing something? He said. He looked more curious than he did afraid or alarmed. Yes, she said quietly. The difference is, now I know it isn't real. The medication has helped, but I think that thinking of that night I met you caused some kind of flashback. I'm sorry, I don't remember more about you that night, but you have to understand how horrified I was. That was the beginning of a psychotic episode. Do you understand? Yes, he said, looking at her gravely. Do you need me to take you home? Yes, she said, and then before she could stop herself, she said, And you're welcome to join me. That night, back in her apartment, she found herself making love to Akshay. She'd been so lonely and had felt so isolated at times that she had never felt more energy from human touch than she did then. She positively shivered as he kissed her and slowly began taking off her clothes. He was once again acting confidently, but she could feel his hesitance. She knew that they were going too fast, but Claire didn't know when her next breakdown would come, or if it would be her last. That was one thing she learned from the others at the clinic. There was always another breakdown, and when that happened, no one in her life would be safe from her, especially not herself. She lay down on her back as he lay on top of her aching need in her belly. He entered her, and she felt a small pain. It had been a while, and he was not lacking in size. 
This was the quickest she'd ever slept with a man. She'd never been with a man who she hadn't dated for at least a few months before, and he was only the third. But it felt like they had been together hundreds of times before. He moved his hips, and she bucked back against him, the rocking motion as natural as a boat on the sea. She came first, and then she realized how much she had been neglecting herself. Mental illness isn't the sexiest of experiences, after all. She could feel his body tensing and felt the power of his orgasm when she looked up and saw the man floating in air behind Akshay's head. The woman appeared next to him, swirling in the air above the bed. Their mouths open in silent screams. Claire nearly fainted as Akshay rolled off of her. The man and woman disappeared just as he did. Claire closed her eyes and rested her head against his chest and pretended to fall asleep. Akshay's chest rose and fell quickly. He was slightly out of breath from the lovemaking. Shortly, though, his breath slowed to a steady rhythm and Claire could tell that he was asleep. She opened her eyes. The gray thing was in the corner, as still and as erect as always. Claire looked at him and whispered, You go away. You're not real. And I know it, damn it. In response, the gray thing faded away. But in his place, the old man appeared. Go away, Claire whispered urgently, feeling a new confidence over her hallucinations. The old man only looked at her, rubbing his fingers over the head of his twisted cane. If he won't go away, then I'll medicate, Claire said to herself. She went to the bathroom to take some of her pills. When she did, she heard a loud thump, as though Akshay had fallen from the bed. Akshay, are you okay? Claire asked as she came back with a glass of water in her hands. She found him rubbing his forehead. I'm glad you were out of bed, he said slowly. I must have rolled over and bumped my head. I would have sworn that something hit me, he said and put his hand up to his brow. He hissed, sucking in his breath. There was a small cut above his eye. Claire looked around the room for a moment. She saw the old woman on the floor, in the corner, holding her hands up in a defensive gesture. But then she disappeared. Pills are working, Claire thought. Claire bandaged Akshay up, and then they went to bed. The next morning, she awoke to find her bed empty, but there was a note on her pillow. Claire, I had to get to class early and I didn't want to wake you. You looked very peaceful. I like you, Claire. And I want to see you again, Akshay. Claire laid her head back against the pillow. She couldn't believe that after everything she had suffered, that something so good could come into her life. When she got up to go to the shower, she saw the old man again, lurching back and forth with his cane. Oh, go fuck yourself, she said as she pushed past him to go to the shower. He reached for her arm, and for a second she felt his grasp. She felt white, hot pain on her wrist as he tightened his grip. Ah! She moaned in surprise, and the old man opened his mouth into a scream. This time she heard a sound like the metallic cry of a coal train's brakes. Then he was gone, and the pain was gone, mostly. But after her shower, she found a bruise on her wrist that looked much like the imprint of a thumb. I am in control, she told herself. 
And despite everything that happened, she believed it. The next time she saw Akshay, she went to him. Things had gone fairly well for the next several weeks. She saw the old man and woman from time to time, but she was so firmly convinced of her control that they didn't frighten her, even during the times when they seemed to interact with each other. Twice she had seen the old woman fall to her knees in front of the old man, and he raised his cane up over his head and swung it at her. She disappeared just as the cane passed through the space that she should have occupied. During this time, Eric came to see her. He'd paid the first year of her lease up front. He and his wife both had high-earning jobs, and they could afford to do so. Hey, sis, he said when she let him into her apartment. She hugged him exuberantly. He looked down at her, and she looked so much like her old self that he felt a wave of relief. I like what you've done with the place. Hey, bro, she said back to him. I haven't done anything with the place. Yeah, right he said, furrowing his brow. The table was over there, and you've completely rearranged the living room. She looked around and realized that she had rearranged the house, but she couldn't remember doing it. I'm just messing with you, she said. And she could see relief wash over his face. Relax, Erica. I'm not going to go all schizo on you, she joked. Hey, that was uncalled for, he said, rolling his eyes at her. But seriously, sis, it's good to see you. You haven't come over in a while. Yeah, I know, I've been busy, Claire said. Uh-huh, nothing to do with this new guy, ashtray or whatever. Hey now, Erica, you watch it. Akshay is a keeper. He shows up on time, treats me like a lady, doesn't mind picking up the bill at dinner. Even when I bring along Tina, Jordan, Asher, Kemper, Colin, Sarah, and Jacqueline. Eric laughed uneasily. Dude, I'm kidding. I don't see that many, and I definitely never name them. I don't really see or hear anything anymore. The medication is helping, then, Eric said. It is. I knew Dr. Lorenzo would be good for you. I wish I could have seen you myself, but I just think the pressure would have been bad for both of us. I know, I know. God, are we going to talk about anything else other than the old lady standing behind you? Claire said, and Eric whipped his head around. You're seeing one now? He asked. No, Claire said. God, this is way too easy. Maybe this is my cure, making you uncomfortable. Laugh it up, sis, he said. So hey, I wanted to ask you about this Akshay guy. Hey, I know, I know, Eric put his hands up defensively. Isn't my business. But I drove past here the other day, and I thought you said he was a college-aged kid, you know? Fresh off the teat, just like you? Yeah, she said, and wanted to make a joke about Akshay and her own teats. But she wasn't sure Eric would take that well. Oh, well, when I drove by the other day, I could have sworn I saw an older guy here. No, not that I know of, Claire said, wrinkling her brow. The landlord stopped by the other day, but he's not too old. How old do you mean? I mean, old, and he wasn't just around the apartment. He was in your apartment. He was old and harsh-looking, Eric said. Dude, I'm the one who's supposed to be seeing things, 
Claire said, but then she asked, What was he doing? I don't know, just sort of standing in the window. I couldn't see much of him. The blinds were mostly closed. It was the oddest thing, because the light was on behind him, but I could still see him. Uh, maybe it was one of your neighbors, and I just mistook it for your apartment. God, he was a mean-looking son of a bitch. I called you after, and you answered. But you were home, and you sounded fine, so I just left it be. Yeah, totally must have been a neighbor, Claire thought. There was no way he could be describing the old man. He was her hallucination, not Eric's. Claire and Eric had lunch, and then Eric had to go see another patient. Claire was working evenings at the hotel, so once Eric left, she got ready to go. She got out to her car, she looked back up at her apartment, and there in the window was the old man looking back out at her. Claire finally had a bad day on her fifth real date with Akshay. They had been seeing each other more casually lately. Just getting pizzas and watching movies, that sort of thing. On the fifth date, Akshay took her into the city, into a restaurant. All was well until they went to catch an Uber of their own. Perhaps it was the city lights and the rain, but Claire had a flashback of the night she'd met Akshay. The gray man was back everywhere she looked, and the voices came back too. Not as loud as before, but far too loud for her to handle so unprepared. As much as she tried closing her eyes and telling herself she was okay, it just wouldn't go away. Should I take you home? Akshay asked. Yes, Claire said, and then she remembered. Oh God, I forgot to take my medication. The ride home was miserable. Her sanity felt thin. The man in gray was in the car with them the whole way back. He looked more real, more there than he had in the past. Claire felt awful. She had never missed her meds before. But today, when she was going back to the city for the first time, she forgot them. She felt so weak, so vulnerable and fragile that she wanted to be by herself. I can stay. Akshay said as he pulled up to her apartment. No, Claire said. I'm sorry, but no. I just need to take my medicine and sleep. I'm sorry, but I'm just not ready for you to see me like this. The incredible thing about Akshay was that he never pushed her. He didn't give in to her every whim. It wasn't weakness, but he seemed to understand that she needed her space. He walked her to the bottom step and she said, I'm sorry. I can walk the rest of the way up. It's nice out, and I could use some silence. I'm so sorry. Akshay took her into his arms and kissed her. She kissed him back firmly, and then broke away and went up the stairs. On the way up, she could smell marijuana, and the smell frightened her a little. There were so many schizophrenics who had abused pot for years that she feared it would affect her, somehow. Then she understood the source. There were a couple of teenage girls standing on the second floor of the apartment building, passing a joint. She tried to hide it as she passed by. But one of them, a blonde girl with spiky hair and dark eyeshadow, said, Oh, hey, you live in 314, don't you? Yeah, Claire said, and she assumed that because of the combination of sight, smell, and sound, that this girl was real. Oh, man. 
dude, like, how do you live in that place? The girl asked. I just do? Claire said in a questioning tone. Yeah, no shit, but like, how? Didn't they tell you what happened there? The girl asked. Uh, no? Claire said, looking between the two girls. The other had sandy blonde hair pulled back into a ponytail. She looked like she couldn't be a day over 15. Dude, that is cold, the spiky one said. For real, said the other. Like, this creepy dude lived up there for years. Don't you remember him, Ashton? The spiky girl asked. Uh, yeah, Lisa, Ashton said, apparently finding some humor in the fact that this girl, her sister, would use her name in such a dramatic fashion. Shut up, Lisa said. Anyways, when we were kids, this old dude killed his wife in there. It was insane. It happened right above our bedroom. I can remember waking up and hearing, like, these horrible screams, you know? And these whacking sounds, like, like someone was hitting a watermelon with a small hammer. It was muffled, but I could hear it, Lisa said. Yeah, right, Ashton said. Like you could hear anything. I was in the same room and I didn't hear a thing. Whatever, I totally did. This bitch is deaf. Shut up. Never. So anyways, this guy like wasted his wife. I mean, none of us were surprised. He was the meanest looking old fart. He had these crazy eyes and this patchy hair. He would like always limp around with his like, bone thing for a cane. It was gross. Dude, he was gross. Claire felt a cold stab in her chest. She looked at the girls, and they continued to smoke, apparently deeming that she wouldn't turn them in or rebuke them. I'm surprised that place isn't, like, haunted, you know, Lisa said. Yeah, Claire felt herself say. Don't get caught with that, girls. She felt like she floated the rest of the way up to her room. A bone for a cane, she thought, and the pieces all fell into place. Claire threw open the door to her apartment and ran to the bathroom to find her pills. Outside, Akshay sat in the driver's seat of his car watching Claire go up to her apartment. She stopped and talked to a couple of stoner-looking girls on the second floor before going up to her apartment. She went in the door. Akshay put the car in reverse and began to back up. His eyes passed over Claire's apartment once more, and when they did, the lights flickered on. There, in the window of her apartment, stood an old man. His skin was sickly and gray, and he had a dark complexion. He was looking out the window, and for a moment Akshay thought he was looking at him. Claire heard Akshay knock on the door, and a moment later, she heard him enter. Claire! he shouted. Claire, I thought I saw someone in here. She turned to respond, but when she did, she saw the old woman come stumbling into the bathroom. Her face was caught in that silent scream. She stumbled in, her eyes searching the room, and then she fell to her knees. The head of the cane that was carved from some giant animal's antler was lodged into the side of her head. She opened her mouth in a silent scream. Akshay was coming, but the old man was already in her room. 
he pulled the cane out from his wife's head and blood spurted from the wound like a faucet with a pressure buildup. He came toward her. Behind them, in the corner, the thing in black removed its hood. Its skin was oily, black, and smooth like that of a black widow spider. She could see no mouth, slits for nostrils, and yellow glowing eyes. Three spires stood from the crown of its skull, and it looked at her with great interest. As she fainted, she heard the sounds of Akshay screaming. than I would have. My scary story voice is so lame. Oh, that's it. Gee, I don't know. It's not very much. It's... He pulled the cane out from his wife's head. And blood spurted from the wound like a faucet with pressure buildup. So yeah, like yeah. Hey, are you on air right now? It seems that he is. He's live streaming on YouTube. He just received a super chat. It's the creepy porn guy. It says, tentacles, or GTFO. It's like I've always felt called to do this, guys. Like, it's my destiny or something to delve into cryptids and hauntings and all the biggest mysteries of life. It feels like I've always been doing this. You guys believe in past lives, don't you? Were you taller in that past life? Zip it, creepy. He still doesn't know that he's an Ed Hay and an RJ. Oh, now you're speaking my language. We have to break it to him sometime. Break what to me, guys? Listen, have you ever thought that this past life of yours might be real? Oh, no doubt it was real. I read this book once about this doctor guy researcher dude who interviewed a bunch of children in India who could tell you exactly how they died in their past lives. And he would go and mess them with the actual obituaries. They compared scars to wounds and everything. It was fascinating, and of course past lives are real. My chiropractor and all my crystal books tell me so, and they would know. Now, listen. This feeling that you've been something before what you are now. What if that is your life? Your life before this? Think, Patrick. How did you get where you are now? Brett... Ixnay on the- If you don't stop speaking my language, human, you're gonna summon some fucked up shizzle! Wait now. Oh boy, howdy! What is this? It's coming back to me! Something about living in my car on the road with an old wood panel station wagon and I was listening to Coast to Coast AM as I drove the endless cornfields of Iowa chasing... Chasing! What was it, Patrick? Think. I just remembered. What is it? I need to cancel Disney+. Plus. I mean, I finished watching The Mandalorian three months ago. 
Oh, shit. You used my car on that. Oh! And I meant to put my show on Instagram, but I need a good selfie. And I just can't seem to get my upper body in frame. I give up. Ignorance wins. Ignorance always wins. ADHD always wins. Wait, what's the Virginia Bunny Man? Guys, I really want to make this show. If I only had listeners and they would send in paranormal stories, but I don't have anyone. Is that why you stole our show? You mean my show? You worked for me. And I'm about this close to getting Patrick your job. And my story, I might add. Guys, I was just trying to help. I didn't know you kept doing the show while you were gone. You just left me here, and I didn't know what was going on, and I was scared, and I had a lot of nori munchups, and there was this, like, pandemic thing or or another, and I, I got scared and confused, and I thought a lot about Sasquatch, which is what I do when I get scared, because it reminds me of Mother, and... TLDR, Patrick. I was just saying that... Great hopping hoop snake, I remember! I remember it all! It's terrible! What is it, Patrick? Past life? What the void oblivion of death tasted like. Your dismemberment? We already made the note about the Disney Plus. No! It's horrible! My sweet, my lovely Cassiopeia. Who? Who? Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warpbox Media. Today's story was Break by Matt Cummins. Original music by me, Brett Norwood. Good day, Monsterbaiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this Squatch Spankin' episode of Monsterport, please make sure you're subscribed, and please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts user Shumadumalu says, My new favorite podcast. As someone who falls asleep to Lovecraft audiobooks every night and is obsessed with serial killers, this podcast has just the thing to tickle my fancy. These boys keep me entertained from start to finish. I even like the music breaks. Oh, thank you, Shumadumalu, and Shumadumalu to you too. We really appreciate the kind words. I really appreciate the comment on the music. We aim to entertain, so thank you for listening. Lastly, Monsterbaiters, don't forget to drop your email at monsterpornpodcast.com. You'll get our episode announcements and editorials, and our forthcoming digital magazine. Who knows, maybe more. So stay weird, and Godspeed, Strange Cowboy.
I remember! I remember it all! It's terrible! Spitting all over my screen. If there's anything that spreads coronavirus, it's Patrick. Oh, yeah, like... Oh, God, that was not Patrick at all. <laughs> my, my name is... So, yeah, like... Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh... God damn it, that's not Patrick. That was, that was fine. Oh, I just didn't feel like it. My, my name is Patrick McGannon. Thanks, as always, for supporting this, for supporting Monster Porn. We we appreciate our listeners. Thanks, as always, for... Thanks, as always, for supporting this, for supporting Monster Porn. We appreciate our listeners and that you make us part of your day. Sorry, my screen blacked out and it made me pause.